Hello and welcome to another episode of Coffee with Candice. I'm your host, Candice Mama. This week, I am bringing you not one, but two phenomenal guests. Why? Because it's my birthday. <laughs> and all I ask as a birthday gift is that if you like this podcast, you like, share, or subscribe, or do all of them. That would be amazing. <laughs> so who are my guests? I'm speaking to researcher at Queen's University, Belfast. Dr. Drew Mikkel about the Lebanon crisis. I'm also speaking to Monroe France, who is New York University's Associate Vice President for Global Inclusion. And both of them are going to give us context on how to be better global citizens, because is that not what the world needs right now? So without further ado, here my Thank you so much, Monroe, for joining me on Coffee with Candace. You are someone I've always respected. Your voice, your activism, your, you know, just your sense of being in the world is so incredibly powerful. And so I just want to say thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Of course. I mean, I think we're kindred spirits, Candice, from the moment I met you at, at Bloemfontein, of all places, right in the free state. Um, I was like, who is this woman? I got to know her. And... Let's talk further about this at this thing about forgiveness. What does that look like, right? And so we had this brilliant phone, as you probably remember, on the bus as we were going out, making our way to Kwakwa. Um, a really wonderful conversation, and you know, and a really honest and transparent. Um, and I think, in many ways, for me at least, um, got to know you really as this like you know very thoughtful human being. And so, whenever you were asked, you know, for me to show up, you know, of course I'm there. Yeah. So Aww. thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And so I want to, Monroe, you have, I mean, really risen at New York University. You are the vice president of global inclusion. Um, and mm -hmm. you don't get to that rank, you don't get to that position, and you don't get that voice without a lot of hard work, especially as a black man. <laughs> you know? And yes, so I want to right. <laughs> just a little bit and speak about how did you get sure. to this position? Mm. Oh, that's a great question. Thank you. And so, and I would clarify too, associate vice president, not vice president yet, but it will happen one day. Yes, uh, for sure. So, that, <laughs> so that's the thing about having a vision. I think having a vision um, for yourself and being willing to, I'm sorry, my phone is like going off, having a vision for yourself and being willing to um, take risk and being willing to like being willing to um, Engage, engage and being willing to um, have courage around what you want in your career, I think is very important. Um, of course, too, you know, I've had lots of really tremendous role models, especially black women who have um, been really kind and generous to me over the course of my career and just life. And I think that um, has like helped a lot. And then the foundation that, you know, growing up with um, my great grandmother, who at you know at the age of eleven, she took me and my two brothers in, and she was a fierce woman, fierce black woman, and wore big hats on um, Sunday at church, and um, and you know she was such an educator and such a change agent, and so I think so many gifts that she like you know gave me. Um, in terms of understanding myself in the world has really helped me in my career as well um, to like, you know, be authentic, um, to be willing to speak truth to justice, even when it's not comfortable. Um, and, you know, and I think the other thing too is like, you know, sort of following your passion, right? And so that's the thing that 
you know, has been really important for me um, is that I need to feel a sense of joy and passion in the work that I do um, and to feel like I have some sort of impact. And so, so all of my career has kind of been mission driven. And even when I've done things like I've worked in fashion for a bit, um, so I have a degree in fashion. Um, and so, but, but I, but that was not in terms of in the area that I was working, I had to realize that was not what I was called to do. And so I think, you know, the sense around calling and understanding who you are, um, what you're driven to do has been like, has helped my career over time. Yeah. To get me where I am. And, and I think the last thing too, I would say is too, is that um, thinking outside of the box, right. That um, I like to say that, you know, I, like I bring the, um, this try to bring the sexy to change a like change-based work or social justice and, what I mean by that is that, you know, I, I, I think, you know, this work, you know, we should be thriving towards everyone and feeling a sense of liberation and freedom that, you know, you're able to live the life that you wanted, you want to live without restraint, you know, but that then doesn't uh, limit the capacity and ability for others, right? And so it's both uh, how, how are you able to live this sense of self-actualization, uh, self-liberation, while also not limiting that ability for someone else. And so to me, that's what has driven me in my career. Yeah. That is so powerful. And I want to know, have you always been this way? Have you always been so comfortable just being yourself and also initiating change? Because I know some people grow yeah. into it other people have just always yeah. been comfortable with it. Yeah. Yeah. So do you yeah. think you grew into it or you have always just been comfortable with it? No, that's a great question. Um, so what I would say is that <laughs> I, there are some ways in which that I feel that I've always had too big of a mouth um and like you know would question and i remember so many occasions in um in elementary school and middle school getting into trouble for talking too much um or for deciding to be the person that takes on an issue or a cause um even when it was not directly maybe impacted me in some way um and you know i think that just came internally in some ways um you know i think something some personality traits you're just like born with and then you cultivate over time and so I think that you know in some ways I was born with this mouth born with this sense of um, you know I'm going to speak truth to justice and wanting things to be right and then the other thing too I think which like it's been a cornerstone for how I live in the world is this sense of curiosity and being a learner and that's a part of like the building relationships with people in a sense of curiosity wanting to learn their story who they are and what their narratives are but then also the sense of curiosity and learning of the world. And, you know, I think that has also, you know, aided to me wanting to be, you know, a part of the world, in and of the world, right? And so, so yes, I think, yeah, I, and I remember too in middle school and junior high school, um, so many of my friends, I was that person that was in every different kind of circle. And then I went to like a Jesuit, like, you know, university um, for my bachelor degree and, um, and immediately, you know, continue to throw myself into this, you know, very um, predominantly white institution. Not that was my first time engaging with like large groups of white people, but because um, that was part of my history growing up, though, but then been immediately immersing myself into um, that experience in a way in which that I was like, you know, became to create, a, I think I would say a trail, like laying the trail for other um, black students going into that university. And so, and that again, came from this sense of, 
I don't know, some drive that was always there that I just have to cultivate over time and then learning from other people too. And that's a part of being a learner. You're learning from other people. Yeah. I love that. There's a phrase you used. It's speaking truth to justice. And yeah. I think as you know, the world is evolving during this period of COVID, a lot has come to the surface, especially in the US, you know, I mean, outside of the US too, a lot of stuff has happened, but the Black Lives Matter yeah. and George Floyd was like the ignition for the world's conversation, yeah. right? And so I want to know as a black American man, yeah. how did you feel about, you know, the whole, whole George Floyd incident? And how do you feel the conversation has moved forward since then? Mm, thank you. So, so the first thing I would say is that, like, I mean, George Floyd was a tipping point in the moment, but it cannot be, I don't think we can talk about why George Floyd's, like, death became um, sort of this marker or this moment without also contextualizing it into the pandemic, right? Because I think, like, you know, it provided the conditions for people to be really focused um, in some way because people were not at work um, all around the world. And so I think that gave a, like a platform for people to feel a sense of greater freedom to um, be out in the streets and to organize in a different kind of way. Um, and then, of course, you know, we saw the grotesque like in a moment, um, like, you know, on video. And so so that was another thing, too. But then, you know, his his. And this is a long time coming, right? So it was nothing new in so many ways that, you know, there's been so many other deaths. And then right around that time, we had, you know, Armad, we had Brianna, right? And so, and so it wasn't just him. And so this was a moment of buildup and, you know, people's frustration and their anger and just being tired, right? Tired of having to see these senseless deaths over and over again. And I have to say, I felt the same, right? And so, you know, for myself, just like, you know, just done and angry with this, but also not needing that to understand how um, how insidious this is and how painful it is. I've never watched the video um, and I won't watch the video. And I have made a decision for myself that I will not watch any other videos of like you know, black bodies being um, trampled upon, black bodies being um, murdered, like you know, being abused and murdered and, and violence against black bodies. I just won't because I don't need to see that to understand like how bad it is and how much we must reckon with this. And, you know, I think about the work of Brian Stevenson, you know, when he talks about, you know, we need to reckon with our past to be able to understand this moment, right? And and so I think that for me, you know, is the way in which that I've resonated with this. And I think how the conversation has moved forward in some ways is that, you know, so many people are focused now on what are we going to do? So this piece around needing to have a plan. <laughs> I think we need, you know, to be really candid, you know, all around the world, we need people who have power to have a plan. And so if you're, a, you're benefiting from white supremacy, you know, then you need to have a plan for what are you going to do to address it? Um, it's like, that's your problem. If you're getting benefits from it, that you need to figure out what you're going to do to address it. Um, and so I think this plan and having an action, right? You know, what are we going to do? The plan and what are we going to do? Um, to create change, is we need to go beyond a, a Black Lives Matter. I know that already. Okay, thank you. Okay, so I already know my life matters. <laughs> I already know that I'm, I'm badass. But what are we going to do to, like, you know, to make change? And so, and I think that's becoming more part of the conversation in a way that I don't know has existed in mainstream conversations in the way that it has needed to in the past. And so, I hope we can keep up 
with this momentum. Um, I'd like to say that this is a new day, um, but like, you know, we need to hold fast to this day um, and make this day mean something. And so that's to me again, going back to this piece around plan and action. Oh, yeah. and you have been in this field for a very, very long time. Yeah. So this conversation yeah. is nothing new to you. Right. And I want yeah. to know, like when people come to me and they say, Monroe, I feel guilt. I feel mm. something. How do mm. I move forward? Because I have no idea. I know I benefit from white supremacy. I know I benefit right. unfairly from the way the systems and my ancestors have built this country. But how right. do I move forward from this moment? What do you say to them? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, you know, no, they're a good question. Um, so I think there's, you know, you got to start from the place in which you can have the greatest influence and impact. So I think that's the piece. Not all people are going to be, depending on what country context you live in, a political context. I was just in a um, conversation literally right before here in Abu Dhabi, while here in my apartment in New York, uh, in Brooklyn. Um, and we were talking about, you know, that there, in many places around the world, there's not a social condition or political condition in which you can protest um, because you're, you will lose your life. And so, so, so we have to think from the place in which that we can make impact from the place in which that we have the capacity to create change. For some of us will be like using our voice, for some of us will be writing, for some of us it will be in the courtroom, so for some people it's gonna be in the streets. You know, for others it's gonna be about where, how are you raising your children? And like, you know, and doing something differently, right? That you're not raising your children to just like assume that like, you know, everything's owed to them because of their racial identity, you know, and so, for being white. Um, not everything's owed to me because of being a man or cisgender, right? And so not trans. So I think that, you know, piece around like, you know, moving from guilt is not helpful. Sitting in your guilt is not helpful. White guilt is not helpful. Um, it gets us nowhere. And so you got to work out of that very quickly. Call a friend. Get to like, you know, you got to have a group of people that are going to move you along. <laughs> um, but you cannot stay there. You know, it's you got to get to a place then where you say, okay, I get it. It has been terrible. My people have done some really wrong things. I've benefited from that. So now you've taken acknowledgement of it. And now like, let's move on. Like, and let's figure out what actions are we going to take to make difference. Yeah. And what do you say to people who say, you know, I don't want to be performative because, you know, there is a way of, I mean, we saw it on Instagram, right? Where people were posting yeah. the little black squares with no real context and they post right. the next square and then the next day it's like, oh, we're back to normal. And it's like, okay, right. you time to research, read, you know, speak <laughs> yeah. to someone, you know? Right. So what's that fine line for you between someone who genuinely wants to implement change and someone who's mm. doing it in a way that comes across as very performative in nature? Mm, yeah, I mean, we see a lot of that, right? Um, and I think this is where we need to be critical of social media because it can be very good. I mean, it's connected us globally. You know, I've been able to stay in touch with friends like you, right, you know, and all over the world. Um, and so that has been like, you know, that's the plus. That's the, like, you know, that's the added advantage of like, you know, having social media, et cetera. But then there are other ways in which that has become about just how do we position ourselves and like how do we show that like, you know, we're either like irrelevant to this contemporary moment or like, you know, becomes a way in which that we do these cursory things to show that we're down. And like, and so for me, you know, I don't like to get caught up with that too much. I'm like, okay, who's ready to act? Who's ready to really do some real work? I'm going to work with those people, 
right? I'm going to work with the people that are ready to, like, you know, mobilize, be responsive in the way that makes right, again, in a way that makes sense contextually for them. But for those that, you know, this is just another tagline, another something you put up, you know, I, I, I would say don't get caught up too much with them. You know, um, in the words of Marsha P. Johnson, who was one of the people that uh, kicked off the Stonewall protest, right, for the rights of LGBTQ plus people, she said, child, pay them no mind. So I think in some ways, child, pay them no mind, the people who are just doing this for, you know, a like a moment to be seen. Um, and let's focus on the people who are ready to do the work, right? Yeah. Focusing on the people that are ready. I think that is so yeah. important, especially when you look at movements such as All Lives Matter or, yeah. you know, any co contrarian movement that actually makes no sense, right? No sense, <laughs> It's like, you're making no sense. And I, right. I, I think for me, in the beginning of, you know, trying to raise awareness and have really conducive conversations, mm -hmm. um, what I found to be very interesting is that people who believe in All Lives Matter usually mm -hmm. don't want to have a conversation they're not no. actually open to engaging it's and every time i say to them it's like i'm a straight woman and if yeah. i use my voice to speak for you know the lgbtq plus community i'm not yes. taking over their struggle but i'm just saying that okay i understand that they're a community that needs a voice at this right. time because society right. is refusing to recognize them you know freedom of choice and and so mm -hmm. it's always crazy to me when you explain the same like <laughs> the exact same thing to someone who says all lives matter and then they say to you no but in the name of jesus or whatever all lives matter. <laughs> you're like historically speaking you what you're saying doesn't even hold water <laughs> right <laughs> like, exactly <laughs> so i want to know like from you i mean you work mm. with us on a day-to-day -day basis you know and mm. i want to know when people come against and they oppose you in the sense of the all lives matter movement mm -hmm. You know, everyone is allowed to get married, but you know, this, and they always have that stupid little but. How do you deal mm -hmm. with it on an emotional level and on just, you know, a day to day level? Yeah. I mean, some days is a real struggle. I mean, to be real, real, you know, I've been at this for, you know, well over 20 years. And, you know, in some days, depending on how I slept, some days, depending on what else has happened to me in a build up, um, you know, I might be a little bit more like frustrated or angry, and, and you can see it in the way that I respond. Um, now, when I'm in my right mind and more balanced or, you know, the person for whatever, whomever they are, because sometimes some people just trigger you in a particular kind of way and make you want to go all the way there. Um, so, you know, when I don't allow them to have that level of power, what the way that I think about this is, is that, to your point, um, what are they really like are is my sense are they asking or making this cause because they're trying to understand and learn or are they doing this to manipulate and to continue to have hold power over in the conversation if they're trying to hold power over in the conversation i just my whole notion is is that i'm going to state the facts i'm going to stay on facts and then i'm going to let them do whatever else they want to do because that is not time worth giving right you know again I want to give my time to things where I can see outcomes, my time where I can see, um, you know, there's a possibility for creating change. You know, I'm not going to keep pushing up against a wall that doesn't want to move. And so and a lot of people spend a lot of time doing that. Um, and and I, from my perspective, you know, like, hallelujah for them. Like, if that's where you want to spend your time, maybe you're going to make an impact. Um, my 
perspective on this is that, you know, I'm like, you know, people who are ready, I'm ready to be there with you and to be engaged. And sometimes that readiness is that you're going to ask questions that, you know, for me, you know, I might think, wow, really? You're really still asking that kind of question. But you can tell the difference where someone is like trying to make meaning, trying to make sense, and they're like willing to learn rather than those that, you know, they're using this to continue to perpetuate, you know, this power dynamic in which that they put themselves in the center and hold that har and harness that power. If that's what the goal is and that's what they're trying to do, it's not worth it. And especially for me as a person of color, as a black man, you know, it's a queer black man. So, and especially if they're holding the dominant space around race, like race being white or other facets of identity, I, I, I think, is that my cause to do that? Is that my, is that my, is that what I'm called to do to spend time? Now, it's one thing if I'm like, I was at a training session um, with an organization yesterday, yesterday, I think, no, day before yesterday. And, you know, someone got very upset that I was situating um, sort of racial justice and understanding racism within the context of the global pandemic, right? And that how the disparate impact on already marginalized people are like, you know, by black and indigenous and people of color in the US and in all around the world. You know, people are making masks in China and Korea. You know, what does that mean for the poor folks having to come up the front lines to continue to make themselves vulnerable? Or, you know, delivery workers, et cetera, all around the world. And so, they were upset that I make, was making that point and said that, you know, I was minimizing uh, the pandemic by making it a racial justice conversation. So I was like, wow, you know, and so myself and then someone else that was in a session tried to educate. And then at some point, because the resistance was so deep, I was like, I got to move on. You got to move on, you know, because others here want to learn and I cannot let this person co-opt this conversation in a way that like, you know, they, just there that this, the resistance is so deep that it's not worth it in this moment. And maybe eventually at some point someone else will say something you can get it. But it was clear to me that my message was not that's the person that was not resonating with him. And so I had to give up on that, right? And I had to go back to my notes and put the focus of the talk and focus on that. Yeah. Oh wow. And I want to ask you from a legal standpoint or from mm. uh, you know judicial, governmental, systematic. Um, standpoint, what more needs to be done by, you know, powers that be in order to mm -hmm. make sure that, you know, we're not coming back to this conversation? Because I mean, I think like you said, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. all black people, no, not just black people, all marginalized yeah. communities are tired. We're tired of saying right. the same thing over and over. And yes. then to have these, you know, ignition moments or George Floyd's or, you know, someone being yeah. killed because they're trans or whatever the case is. And exactly. what do you think needs to be done in a legal capacity so that people can start actually having repercussions for these kind of actions and hate speech and hate mm -hmm. behavior? Yeah, so much needs to be done, right? Um, you know, in my ideal world, we need to just throw the system out and start all over, right? And that's, that's where we will see true reform, right? And so, I don't know that we're going to have that. So, okay, given that that's not possible, then like, you know, this is our dream, you know, this is the great dream. And then like, you know, like what do we need to do to work towards that? And so I do think an overhaul of one, the ways in which we think about criminal justice, um, you know, needs to really change. Brian Stevenson, I'm going to just use him again because he's so at the forefront of my mind because we're using his book, Just Mercy, um, at NYU as a part of our first year student read. 
And so he, he talks about the importance of like narrative and how we need to shift the narrative about people, shift the narrative about what does it mean to be black in like, you know, the United States across the globe. What does it mean to be narrative about meaning to be black and trans? What is the narrative about like, you know, so like people who are foreign to us. So I think shifting those narratives, I think are so critical. Um, so I think we need to start from the place of whose narratives are like, you know, are not like, you know, whose narratives are not full whose narratives, you know, I think about Chimamama um, Adichie Ngozi. So she talks about, you know, this, like, you know, the danger of a single story, right? And so, and I think we need to move out of the narrative that, like, there's a single story about people um, and, and then begin to start there to shift in our criminal justice system to make it really just. I think that we need to dismantle um, the ways in which that we think about, um, the ways in which that we think about, um, like there's this justice and period, right? That needs to be much more comprehensive and broad. I also think that, you know, there needs to be a redistribution of wealth. Um, and so I know that's like a radical notion, but I think it's possible. I, I think that this redistribution of wealth and what does it mean to have a livable wage um, so that people are like you know, enfranchised like financially. And it's not just that, just that enfranchisement may not cure racism because you can be rich and experience racism, you know? Um, but what I would say though, is that like, you know, when we give people the financial means to be able to live their lives in a capitalist world, um, it gives people the more capacity to be liberated. Um, and so I don't want to divorce, um, you know, this conversation around justice from a conversation around um, enfranchisement and being enfranchised and getting the resources you need to thrive. Um, and so, and so some people want to, I think, you know, this, the ways in which that we sometimes um, exploit poorness, being poor in poverty, as like, you know, oh, in the midst of all that, they still did great. Look at them, how humble they are. They can still find joy. Yes, and guess what? Stuff is still hard for them, right? And so, you know, we tell ourselves that narrative to make us feel better about what we have and our own privileges. And so, so to recap my long diatribe is that I think we need to shift narrative we need to reframe and reimagine and dismantle parts of the criminal justice system across the world. And then we also need to think about the redistribution of wealth. Uh, no, I mean, I could listen to you speak for ages only because I think you're, you're just such a wealth of knowledge. And the one thing I do like that you brought up is a conversation no one likes around the world, including in South Africa, which is redistribution of wealth. And yes. there's always counter arguments to that. And what you covered is exactly what I believe, that when someone is thinking on an empty stomach, they're not making decisions that are going to benefit them. They're making decisions that are going to keep them alive moment to moment, day by day. And so to engage those people mm -hmm. who are hungry and they're going through poverty and their family's sick and say to them, oh, we need to reform the government. We need to do this. They're not at the table for that. They're at the table to say, Where's my next meal coming from? Exactly, you know? sure. And so yeah. change is very difficult when there is such you know, like wealth disparity in any country and in any place. And so elections are actually coming mm. up or they're actually taking place yeah. right now, right, for the U.S. Yeah. And I watched Michelle Obama's speech. Um, yeah. which yes. And I mean, Queen. I love the Obamas, like I yes. was, um, and I love AOC. Yes. I just, I just love yes. what's happening right now. Kamala Harris, all of them. Um, but I want to know. 
I don't know if you've heard the speech lately that, you know, where she's really urging people. Um, mm. I want to know your standpoint right now with where the country currently is. And are you optimistic? Mm. Are you optimistic about, you know, where things are headed, about Joe mm. Biden, about Kamala Harris? So what's going on in your mind? Oh, God, you're asking me a real question. I'm about to get real, real. I'm not making a lot of friends right now. Uh, maybe. Um, so here are my thoughts about this, right? Um, the, the sad thing is that there are a lot of people who are, like, you know, who are fans and friends of the Trumpist narrative and rhetoric and believe deeply or either feel a sense of seeing themselves in him. And, you know, and these are some of the very same people who may, like in conversations, you think that they're like, you know, that they're, because they don't speak up as loudly, that like, you know, that they may not be supporters. And, you know, then they go into the like, you know, ballot boxes and do something different. Um, and so I think we need to be um, really dogmatic at this moment. And this is leading to my thoughts about um, Biden and, and Harris and Kamala. Um, so, so I think we need to be really dogmatic and very pragmatic in this moment in some ways, while also holding true to our values and like you're holding true to you know, the things we firmly and deeply believe in idealistically and also ideologically. Um, and so what I would say with this is that, you know, I'm like at any cost, we need to get this man out of office. And, you know, and so I say this outside of my role as like as an employee at NYU. Um, and so I think at any cost, we need to get this made out of the office. Um, am I excited about like, you know, where we are in terms of our um, our choice of who we have? You know, I'm, I'm on a journey there, right? And so because um, I... I want something that's more progressive, right? You know, I don't, I start, I, I don't want to keep taking the crumbs. You know, I'm over the crumbs from the table. I want the whole damn table. And so, you know, I, and so I, so for me, I feel that like, you know, looking at the policy agenda, looking at like, you know, sort of where I think we need to move, like, so pragmatic, get them out of whatever cost possible. Then on the other side, we need to hold people who are supposed to be representing us, representing us accountable. And people need to be out there vocal in the same way that we are with Trump. And not in a way of like, okay, we're trying to dismantle their campaign, but in a way in which that we're trying to make their campaign as broad and deep and as um, progressive as possible. And so, and I think we cannot rest on our laurels. And I firmly believe that, and that's counter to what some of my other friends and people I care deeply about may believe. Um, you know, because I think we still have to have a sense of critical, like we have to have a sense of um, critical awareness um, and engagement. Yeah, because our, our, our voices matter. And if our voices matter, then we need to make our voices matter in every single moment, right? And so, so that's what I believe, that's what I think. Um, I wanna see it in November, like that we have a power change. I need to see it. So that's where I am. Am I nervous? Hell yes, I'm nervous. I'm very, very nervous. And, and what we see too is, is a global moment around popularism and like this global nationalist moment. So there are lots of dictators in power all around the world. And some of them are not just white. Um, so, so, so that's a thing too that we need to grapple with. What is this contemporary moment that we're dealing in? 
Um, and why is that? I mean, I think part of it, again, is people are so fearful of losing their toys and what they believe it's theirs. Um, and, and so they're doing everything they can around the globe to hold on to it. And so that's the moment. That's why I think we need to be loud and vocal and be dogmatic about it. Well, yeah, about justice. I, yeah, I love what you said about, you know, you're tired of getting the crumbs at the table because that's what it does feel like, right? And not just in the yeah. US, and I like that you highlighted that. I'm in South Africa, and of course, you know, mm -hmm. I've got a black president and a black leader. And the irony is, you know, uh, criminal activity is criminal activity. Corruption is corruption. Mm -hmm. And yes. I think where we find ourselves as South Africans, as opposed to Americans, where, you know, there is almost like when you look at Trump, because he's so outrageous, there yes. is an element of being able to be like, oh, he's terrible. <laughs> you know, right. because he, he allows you to be able to critique him in that way because of his behavior. Right. Whereas when you're in a country like this, where the president seems like a very nice guy and, you know, he mm -hmm. says all the right things mm -hmm. when he does actually speak. Yet you see how, I mean, mm -hmm. I think for us it was um, 500 million, uh, 500 billion rands, which would be like around, 500 million dollars which just disappeared vanished and um the president simply said oh mm -hmm. I, I have no idea where that money went um which is of course is a reassuring okay. um, oh, wow. yeah, which is reassuring for any citizen right um <laughs> so uh so i think that <laughs> globally we are all going through a change and i think that's the one thing yeah. COVID has allowed us to do take a pause yeah take a beat and assess. And I think that's mm. what we need. So in, in your perspective, in an ideal world, what is an ideal leader? What is an ideal president mm. or someone who's going to, you know, take power or office? Mm. Yeah. Um, someone is a learner. Clearly the one I got here in the United States is now a learner. Um, so, and, and when I said that, because then, you know, this person is open to other possibilities and it's just not their only, just them, their way. It's the only way. And so we need leaders, I believe, that are learners, people who are transparent um, and honest, even when like, you know, like things get tough and you can't do exactly everything people want you to do because there, there are lots of demands on people who are in leadership roles. And, and I don't want to minimize that. And it's hard. And, you know, and I've been a manager for some time. And, you know, there are times you have to make decisions that are not going to be favorable for everyone. And, and that, like, you know, it's not always a great place to be in. You're not going to always be popular, not always going to be liked. Um, but if you're transparent and you're able to explain your thinking, your rationale, why you're making decisions, I think you, know, you get people like more like, you know, sympathetic, empathetic to your, like, you know, the position you're in. Um, we need someone that's willing to work collaboratively um, amongst like, you know, people, you know, across, like, you know, amongst different kinds of people. And then the last thing I think we need someone who is um, someone that's, that's, that takes their work seriously but, you know, and takes their cause seriously, but understand that, you know, they're a champion of a cause. It's not just about them. And so narcissism, yeah. I think we see, so what I don't, we don't need is narcissism, like in a leader, because that's a very scary place to be in. And I, and I, and that to your point about this global moment, 
you know, I think that's, you know, as you know, I spent a lot of time in South Africa, so I get it, and I can often draw some parallels to, you know, our journeys, right, you know, and so, you know, whether it's for, like, address dismantling apartheid, um, or like, you know, this thing around reconciliation and like, and what does that mean, you know, to us also going through this journey here. And, um, and so, so I think that piece around, you know, someone as a learner, that a leader must like, you know, be humble in some ways, um, a leader must work collaboratively um, and must like have some level of transparency. Um, I think it's, those are the things that I would say we need in this moment. Oh, and the last thing too, on many levels, we need people who are courageous. Um, and so that courage means that sometimes that you're having to be bold, you're having to go against the norm. And when I say going against the norm, I mean like, you know, these like, you know, these vestiges that have continued to help like keep like, you know, sort of white supremacy, like, you know, at the core of how we like understand colonization, like reproduced and reproduced time and time again in different kinds of ways and repackaged. But at the end of the day, it's still colonization. And so how do we, like, we need a leader that's willing to be courageous to disrupt that um, and to then again, to think outside of that, like what has become normalized and rooted in our in our systems yeah. oh man that is i can't even add to that i think you've covered <laughs> you know, you've covered it so well and i think you're right like when it comes to narcissism there's no room for it in office right, right? because narcissism actually eradicates every other good quality you've just said <laughs> right right <laughs> <laughs> the opposite of narcissism is what we're looking right. for. <laughs> right. I mean, I know many of us probably have narcissistic, like, you know, partners or lovers, and you're like, whoa. You know, or you hit a side of it, it's like, run. Honey, run. 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 run, run, run. <laughs> run to the hills. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so now wrapping it up, and I hate to because you're just such an incredible wall of knowledge. Um, I want to know, just coming back to Monroe on a personal front, and mm. You know, I want to know first, like, what keeps you motivated? What keeps mm. you smiling? What keeps, you know, going through this work? Because this, the work you do yeah. is not easy. So I want right. to know, like, how do you keep your vibration up? Yeah, you know, I, more and more over time, I've had to separate sometimes work, what is work, from who am I, right? And that's not always easy, but, you know, understanding that, you know, some of this is work. Some of this is rooted in, you know, like where, like a, my calling. So being able to differentiate between those and distinguish between those, I think it's key. And then also then distinguishing between who am I and where is the work and where did myself and the work begin to stop because those boundaries, and I'm not perfect at that, let me tell you, right? And so it's an ongoing journey that I'm on to figure that out. Um, but I think it has helped create a greater space of happiness and trying to find happiness in this moment. And, um, and so I think that's important. I'm, I'm actually moving out of the city, uh, moving out of Brooklyn to the suburbs um, next week. Um, you wouldn't know about the condition of my apartment right now, but it's happening. And so, and that was a decision for happiness and greater joy, right? In terms of like, you know, living in the midst of COVID um, and working like, you know, at home in the midst of a pandemic. Um, and so, you know, I wanted more beauty around me, more trees, 
um, you know, being able to go outside and, you know, my neighbors, which I've already had that happen, waving at me and saying hello. Two, like on several occasions now, I've gone back because the house closed like about a month ago or so. Um, so, but I haven't moved yet. And so I've gone over a lot. And someone has been like having my, my lawn landscape for me. So, so being in a space where you get people who are that kind, kind and that sense of generosity, I know you consider yourself a kindness act, act activist. And I like to distinguish the difference between kindness and nice. Like nice is like doormat. Kind is an act of understanding the power you still hold in that moment and making that as a choice. And so when people being kind like that, you know, and being able to be in spaces where, you know, there's, you're, like, there's a sense of humanity, that gives me joy. Right, and so I think those are the ways in which that, and then just being around good people, you know, good, good people, like, you know, helps, you know, when you have had a tough day or where you're questioning yourself or where you're wondering, like, you know, where are we going next? And so being surrounded by good people. Oh man, congratulations firstly on Thank the you. house. I can't wait to visit. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> I got a bedroom named Candace. <laughs> yes. Congratulations, yeah. you deserve it. And the last question I'm going to close with is if you could go back in a time capsule mm. and you could speak mm. to 18 year old Monroe, mm. what are some things you'd say to yourself? Mm. God. Um, yeah, that's a lot. Um, you know, again, being that, like, you know, very, um, you know, I'm very bold and, like, you know, sometimes a little left of, like, you know, sort of what might be right at times in terms of how I went about things. Um, one would be, which I've worked on a lot over time of my career, actually, is, is that it's not about righteousness. It's like, you know, always being righteous. Right, um, and it's not always about being right. Um, that you know, there are times in which that there's more than I can understand. Um, that there's time in which that, like maybe you know, people are more than the worst thing they've ever done. Again, Brian Stevenson. Um, but I, I, I try to think about that because that has helped me to better understand and be able to work with people. Um, and and so, but at 18, you know. You know, I was like, you know, I was a blooming activist, like, you know, and I was already kind of doing activism for sure since I was like nothing. But then over time, you know, I was still, but I still was growing and I had to realize that I didn't know everything. And so I think that you don't know everything. Um, I don't have to always be right. Like righteousness, like, you know, is not necessarily something that always works. Um, and yeah, and that like, you know, a bit of greater kindness um, and at that time, I actually thought kindness, like, and I'm not talking about nice, but kindness was a weakness. And, and I see that really as a strength, like, you know, in, in my understanding of the world at this point. And so at 18, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So if I could go back there, but I wouldn't be who I am now if I were already there at 18. I mean, if I were already there at 18, I mean, I'd probably be a bit of a jerk now because I'm like, I'm gonna have to learn. I've already figured it out, the world out. So what, 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 you know, what, what y'all gonna do? What y'all could? So thank goodness. I just also think too. I, I say this too is that thank goodness I couldn't sing because if I could sing and <laughs> I I would be the biggest, the pumpest, most pumpest person in the world because I would just be like sing it all the time. I would be like going everywhere. Like y'all want to see me sing? Get out the way. Let me sing. Right. <laughs> so. You know, sometimes you get things tempered so you're not a narcissist. <laughs> <laughs>
I love that because I think I I always say it to people too. I'm like, if God gave me the talent of singing, it would be over for you all. I'm like, this whole (laughs) done. (laughs) A wrap, a wrap, what a wrap. (laughs) (laughs) Monroe, you are just one of the most incredible human beings I've had the honor of, you know, coming into contact with. And thank I want you. to just thank you for your time. Thank you for your generosity of spirit. And thank you for sharing with all of us something that we can actually mm. take home, learn and implement. Oh, thank you. And I must say happy birthday. I hope that, you know, you um, found some time to like, you know, treat yourself and pamper yourself and, you know, self-joy in the midst of everything going on in the world. And, you know, I just applaud you for, you know, living your truth and continue to, you know, being driven, um, you know, to have your voice out there and be willing to take risks, right? And so congratulations on all that you're doing. Yeah, oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. And I look forward to catching up with you soon. When you've yes. moved. When you've moved. Yes. You know. There you go. Yes. <laughs> okay. I love you and take I love yourself. I absolutely love Monroe. He is everything. Um, So if you've liked this episode, please don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and rate. And next week is going to be part two with Dr. Drew Mikkel.